WTBRFM, Pittsfield. Welcome to Ham on WTBR, the all-inclusive ham radio show for hams and non-hams alike. Be part of the show. Contact us on www.facebook.com slash hamjamtv. And now the hosts of the show, Peter and Jessica. Ham on. Good morning again. Good morning. Wednesday morning, it's Ham On here in Berkshire yeah, County, Pittsfield, Mass. It seems to show up a whole lot quicker. Seems to show up a whole lot quicker. Downtown Pittsfield at Studio B. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Ham On. We got a big show morning, today. Morning. We have a very big show. Really uh, big show. Really big show. Um, we got space weather coming out in just a couple of minutes. Um, for you non hams, we're going to have a Ham 101 tutorial. Oh, cool! So now I don't go. Basic oh, on ham. What's going on? Um, and, and even though I know most of the information, it helps with the people who are just tuning in, going, "What is this thing he's talking about? What is this ham radio?" This will explain this ham radio. And later on in the show, we will have Bob Heil, K nine E I D, and Joe Walsh. WB6ACU. Bob Holly guy makes microphones and Joe Walsh the guy that makes music. <laughs> Y'all know Joe Walsh from the Eagles. They're going to yes. be talking about, among other things, AM uh, ham radio on the West Coast. So stick around Sweet. for that. Um, big local news is, in case nobody's heard it because I haven't seen it on TV, but I did read it, is Ken's Bowl is being sold because they can't keep up. Um, with the pandemic and, and the owner of, of Ken's Bowl said, you know, in order for us to survive, we need to, um, to go back to full capacity. Yeah. And because of the pandemic, they couldn't do that. So they. And don't forget, we're also on mandatory uh, water restrictions. Um, no one can go ahead from seven to seven to water your lawn. Guys, don't do it. Don't even want to think about it. I mean, they're around and telling you uh, your first warning is $50. Your second. No, the first warning is a warning. First, first warning is a warning. warning. Per, okay. After that, it's $50. After that, okay. 300 300 Yeah, 300 Yeah. Yeah, it's not worth $300 to water your lawn. No, it, it, it's not worth it at all to go ahead. I mean, come on. Let Mother Nature do what she's going to do. Eventually, she'll kick in. Right now, it's just a little dust pool. All right, so what? So you're not got the greatest lawn in all world for the summer, please. Just summer slowly fading it's not away. Worth it. It's not worth fall. it. Yeah. Decorated with Halloween decorations pretty soon. Yes. Who will know the difference? It's already dead. Think about it. You got your <laughs> theme already. Thank, thank you, Darlene. KD2KOW. Uh, Don't you just love how she shows up? Well, same for about Ken's Bowl. They're selling it, and they're selling it to, I think they had a meeting yesterday. I'm not sure what the, the outcome of that meeting was, but they're supposed to be selling it to Berkshire Roots, oh. which is right next door. They're on Dalton Avenue, and, and they uh, Berkshire Roots is going to expand their 
things going on. So um, let's get right into the ready to ham radio news because we have a yeah. lot of stuff to do. We have a lot of things. Uh, first, first and foremost, Hurricane VOIP net activation. Tropical Storm Sally, Hurricane Sally. The Hurricane VOIP net activation um, is is underway on 146.82. The repeater in New Orleans will be the link to them. The following nodes will also be linked together. We will also monitor the Southeast Louisiana Emergency Comm Channel on Zello. So the Echolinks, uh, the, the links here, Echolink, WX underscore talk, conference 7203, IRLP reflector 9219, All Star 28848, DMR, uh, Grandmeister Talk Group 50535. DMR. Ah. The P25 Talk Group at 50535. The YSF Reflector 50535 Narrow Mode Only in D Star XLX432D. Mm. So uh, we're monitoring what's going on in the South with Hurricane Sally. Yes, you, you've got, what have you got? You got something nice? You got something good? Oh! 500 megahertz channels designated for wildfires and hurricane salary response. Segway! Over, o- over to you for... <laughs> the, uh, the Federal Emergency Medical, Medical Aid, or um, Management Agency, FEMA, of course, has announced that two that two six meter channel uh, sixty meter channels ha- are have been available have been made available for as necessary <coughs> for uh, interoperability between the US between US government stations and US amateur radio stations involved in emergency communications related to the uh, the wildland firefighting in response to California, Oregon, and Washington, and to uh, Hurricane Sally, the inoperability channels will remain active until the need for the channels no longer exists. Uh, channel one primarily taught uh, voice traffic. 5330 uh, kilohertz USB with a 1.5 kilohertz offset to center for digital uh, digital waveform. Frequencies may be modded or added to by FEMA region 10 to their area to their area or operations Due to existing five uh, five megahertz or six meter inoperability plans for the region, 
Amateur radio is uh, is secondary on the five the five megahertz band. I didn't know that. And should yield for uh, operational traffic related to wildfire wildfire fighting and hurricane response. Although the intended use for these channels is inoperability between federal government stations and licensed U.M. U.S. amateur radio stations. Federal government stations are primary users and amateurs are secondary users. So when you hear the feds kick in, radio silent, guys. Right. Uh, the military auxiliary radio system, or Mars, is following the female lead on the inoperable uh, channel designations for the wildfire and the hurricane response team. Army Mars program program manager Paul English W W D A D B Y says he has um, let all the Mars members know, all the Army Mars members know uh, about the channel roles and the members are prepared to support the efforts as needed there you go all right we're gonna we're gonna do a little, a little space weather thing uh with, Ta with tamia and we will be back with more news and more hijinks here <laughs> live you're listening to ham on wtbr, WTBR fm live and we're gonna go to uh space weather so yep. stick around Weather this week has definitely quieted down compared to last week. As we take a look at our Earth-facing disk, back on the 5th we did have a bright region in Earth view that fired off a solar storm that went east of Earth, and that got us a little bit excited, thinking maybe this thing was going to do something. And then, before we even got settled, we had another solar storm fired off to the west of us. This was due to the filament channels that we were watching very eagerly last week. It looks like maybe one of them let go and it left off a beautiful uh, solar storm in coronagraphs but that went west of us so my goodness we had storms to the east of us we had storms to the west of us and we got super excited then when we switched back to that bright region Ah, oh, where did it go? It lost, it fizzled on us. So then we kept watching and another bright region began to form in the finger-like coronal hole that we've also been watching. Unfortunately, that region looks like it's also fizzled. So we're just kind of sitting here in a quiet zone, I guess. Meanwhile, that coronal hole is going to be rotating into the Earth strike zone here in the next probably day. So we might get a little bit of fast wind from that. But other than that, we've been pretty much sitting at quiet conditions to maybe unsettled conditions and it looks like the solar flux has also tanked. We actually might be back into the poor range for radio propagation on Earth's day side, and unfortunately, it looks like it's going to remain that way. Switching to our M-flare threat meter, as we take a look at the X-ray flux, you can see we're back to a very low floor right now. Don't worry about the ups and downs. This is just orbit variation. It just happens to be that season where it looks like the flux is going up and down, but it's not the sun. It just goes going around in its orbit. Meanwhile, you can see the fluxes continue to trend very low. This is because we have no sunspots on the Earth-facing disk, and sadly, we have dropped back into the 
high 60s for solar flux. So we're dealing with poor radio propagation on Earth's day side. And it, we might get a little bit of a reprieve because we do see a bright region in stereo's view, but it's going to take a few days for it to reach Earth view. So we're just going to have to keep dealing with this over the next couple days. Switching to our solar storm conditions, you know, we have to go back to the 28th to see the last time we actually reached storm levels. This was due to that fast solar wind from that coronal hole that rotated through the Earth strike zone that was in the north. It was a really strong coronal hole and it gave us a decent punch. It, we brought this up to storm levels on the 28th and then again on the 30th. And it took us until about the 2nd for us to settle down, which meant we had some gorgeous aurora over many parts of the world and all the way down to mid-latitudes. And that was just really fun. It was a nice treat. Meanwhile, we've kind of quieted down and quieted down. We went to unsettled conditions and then down to quiet conditions. Ugh. And we kind of lasted there for a little while. And now we've popped back up to unsettled. And this is pretty much where it's going to stay. We do have that coronal hole that's going to be rotating into the Earth strike zone. It's a finger-like coronal hole, so it's kind of a remnant coronal hole. There's not much to it. That could bump us back up to maybe even more unsettled conditions. Doubt it's going to make it to active conditions, but at least it'll give us something at high latitudes. But outside of that, it looks like this is about as good as it's going to get. And during the recent fast solar wind we've been getting, including that solar storm that we got at the beginning of the month, we've had some gorgeous aurora views over many parts of the world. And here's a few shots from Norway. It was seen in multiple places in Norway. And it was seen in Sweden. And we had some shots in Scotland. And as we begin to go over the Atlantic, it was seen in Iceland. And as we go over to the Western Hemisphere, it was seen in many places in Canada, like these in Manitoba, multiple places in Manitoba. And it was seen in multiple places in Saskatchewan, and also Alberta. And as we dip down into the United States, of course it was seen in Alaska, but it was also seen in Michigan. So what else does our sun have in store for us this week? Well, this is Stereo A. It's our partially far-sighted monitor. You can see here's Earth, here's the sun, and here's Stereo A staring at the sun pretty much from the side. And when you take a look at the disk in Stereo's view, you do see that region down in the south. Now back on the 5th, this is the region that fired that solar storm that went east of Earth. But since then, it kind of fizzled out. And we were thinking, oh, bummer, that's not going to give us much. And then we started seeing another region begin to build inside that finger-like coronal hole. That was back on the 9th or so, but it's not done all that much either, and we are still sitting in the high 60s for solar flux, and that means poor radio propagation. But since then, as we look past that in Stereo's view, we are seeing a new region in the north that's rotating into Stereo's view, and possibly a new region emerging in the south. And if those regions rotate into Earth view, that might give us enough to boost that solar flux back up into the marginal range. So Amateur radio operators and emergency responders, you're just going to have to hang in there for a few more days. Switching to our moon, we are now passing through the third quarter on our way to a new moon, with the new moon being on the 17th. So you night sky watchers, now's a great chance to catch those dim objects in the sky. 
Switching to our solar storm conditions and aurora possibilities over the coming week, everything has been pretty quiet and things at least early part of the week are going to continue that way. Now we do have that coronal hole that's rotating into the Earth's strike zone right about midweek. At high latitudes, Noah's expecting unsettled conditions, but we do have up to about a 15% chance of a minor storm and actually by midweek, possibly up to about a 30% chance of a minor storm when that fast wind hits Earth. Now at mid-latitudes, we're also expecting normal to unsettled conditions with up to about a 5% chance of active conditions until that fast wind hits. When it hits, we could be up to about a 25% chance of active conditions. But guaranteed, if there are any aurora chances at mid-latitudes, they're going to be very fleeting. So only if you're a real dedicated aurora chaser should you even bother. Most likely things are going to be very sporadic and they're going to die out pretty quickly. Switching to your solar flare and particle radiation storm outlook over the coming week, everything continues to be in the green when it comes to big solar flares. We do have a spotless sun right now, despite the fact that we do have a bright region in Earth view. And this is good news for GPS users. You have no risk for radio blackouts and therefore uh, GPS reception on Earth's day side should be pretty top notch. Sadly though, it does mean that solar flux has dipped back into the high 60s. We do have poor radio propagation on Earth's day side, but we do have a couple bright regions that will be rotating into Earth view here over the next maybe three or four days. So amateur radio operators and emergency responders, hold on because we might get back into that marginal range here near the end of the week. Now also because we are still trying to climb out of solar minimum, the cosmic ray flux is a bit more intense than we'd like it to be. So you frequent flyers, and this does include air crew who fly over 800 hours annually and fly at high latitudes and high altitudes, you are in the moderate range for radiation dose, and this does include prenatal passengers, so please take this into consideration in your flight plans. So the space weather this week is going to remain reasonably quiet. We've had storms to the east of us. We've had storms to the west of us, but we've not had much when it comes to Earth-directed solar storms. And that means conditions will continue to be quiet for quite some time. We do have a small remnant coronal hole that's rotating in through the Earth strike zone, which could bring us some decent aurora views at high latitudes, but only fleeting aurora views at mid-latitudes, possibly around mid-week, but only if you're a dedicated aurora photographer at mid-latitude should you even try to pursue this because it probably won't last all that long. Now meanwhile amateur radio operators and emergency responders you're suffering just a little bit because yes solar flux has managed to dump back into the high 60s here at least for the next couple days but we do have a reprieve because we do have a few bright regions on the sun's far side that will be rotating into Earth view here over the next couple days. And that does mean that solar flux could, could, bump back up into the low 70s and give us some marginal radio propagation. So, you know, just hang in there and maybe the day side will get a little bit better. Now, you GPS users, on the other hand, you should be celebrating. We don't really have any solar storms hitting and the solar flux continues to be low. So GPS reception pretty much all over, all over the globe should be top notch. I'm Tamitha Scove, the Space Weather Woman. Thank you for watching. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Cindy here for the Environmental Defense Fund at the supermarket with some smart shoppers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what's for dinner? Pudding! Excellent. What kind? Vanilla. Chocolate. 
lemon mousse. Oh, how sophisticated. Why, thank you. Okay, shoppers, when shopping for pudding, what's the most important thing to look for on the label? 100% pudding! <laughs> Besides that, package made from recycled material. Bingo. All sorts of products and packaging are now being made from the paper, plastic, metal, and glass that you recycled. But to keep recycling working, you have to buy those products. So when you pick up a package, read the label. Just make sure it's pudding. It's for all kinds of products. As long as they're pudding. <laughs> this is Cindy saying for a free brochure on buying recycled, call 1-800-CALL-EDF. Or 1-800-PUDDING. Come on. Oh, all right. 1-800-CALL-EDF. This message from the Ad Council, the US EPA, and the Environmental Defense Fund. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hi, this is Sean Sayre, Executive Director of PCTV. When Taconic High School was demolished, we could have lost this radio station. Instead, PCTV stepped in, built a new studio and transmitter, and gave the station new life. And now it's time to pay that back. Support this station today. Go to WTBRFM.com and click the Donate button. You won't be sorry. Pittsfield Community Radio thanks you for your support. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. The competition has taken orders. Oh my God. Good luck keeping up with us. <laughs> 89.7 WTBR. And we are back on Ham On. We are That back. was uh, the space weather. Now, last week we had a story about. Apparently, Leia wants to say hi. About uh, a TEDx talk with entrepreneur Lito Maram, and that she recalls in the last century where she first attended an amateur radio class, she was laughed at because she was female and young at 10. I promised you that we would have that. We do have that. So we're going to do that now, and then we're going to um, give you another little piece of news, and then our Ham Radio 101, and then um, time permits, uh, we should have uh, Bob Heil and uh, Joe Walsh. So sit back. You're listening to Ham on. Yes. WTBRFM. Yes. We are live from Studio B in yes. downtown Pittsfield. And stick around. Uh, you don't want to change that dial. We will be back right after uh, right after we hear about this with the, with the Morris Code. It's a Sunday afternoon, 
I'm 10 years old, home alone in my parents' house in Tel Aviv, sitting around wondering what to do. I could have joined my friends at the beach, but I wanted something else. I wanted something different. And so, bored with my books, bored with the TV, I all of a sudden hear, secure, secure, secure. This is Forex or Four India Charlie calling from the other room. So I follow the sound into my dad's room, and I realize that it's coming from a little wooden table. And on that table, there's my dad's radio station. Now, I know that I really shouldn't mess around with my dad's station, but I do it anyways. Or at least I try to, because I didn't really know what I was doing. So I start to tinker. I start to dial the antenna and fine-tune it. I start to connect different cables. And a couple of minor electric shocks later, boom, I establish a connection. And I could connect with all these anonymous voices from across the ocean. And now my journey had started. I was literally hooked. And I wanted to get my own radio amateur license. But to get your license, you need to pass an exam in Morse code and in engineering, and you've got to understand something. This world doesn't really have many kids in it. In fact, it doesn't have any kids in it. Your average radio amateur person is a male engineer, um, which meant I wasn't exactly fitting that archetype. When I went to my first class, their reaction was, did you get lost? Are you looking for your brother? And when I said, no, I'm here to get my license, the room burst into laughter. And so my first reaction was just to run away. I mean, I was 10 years old. I felt extremely rejected by some of the people who I honestly thought would be my best friends. So, but then I remembered that when I was home alone with that radio amateur station connecting with all these distant voices from across the ocean. I felt as if I was part of something secret, something underground. My curiosity had led me to experience the freedom and excitement that I never felt before. And I wasn't going to give all that up just because of some grumpy old man. So I decided to keep on going despite this unwelcoming environment because there was no way I wasn't going to get my license. And so what started is just another afternoon ended up with me completing my crash course in Morse code and in engineering, getting my license, and officially becoming a hacker. <laughs> so now, what does it take to be a hacker? It takes three things. Curiosity, tinkering, and grit. And in my personal story, curiosity, I followed the sound into my dad's room, and I found this new world that I wanted to be part of and I wanted to learn more of. Tinkering. I was playing around with the cables and the rest of the station until I established a connection. And grit, I wasn't going to give up. Despite the obstacle and setbacks along the way, I was going to get my license. We're all even here today because we want to hack something. We want to explore new horizons. We want to find more meaning in what we do. Think about big moments in history. Would they have ever happened without curiosity, tinkering, and grit? Without hackers? Think about the first plane by the Wright brothers. Think about the first submarines, initially called fool killers. Think about women hacking the vote. They hacked the system. And even Apple. They started as a bunch of hackers in the garage and became the establishment. Every single disruption and any major innovation in any category always started as a hack. They start at someone's basement, 
They learn as they go, they prototype, they make mistakes, they try again, they make mistakes. They have this grandiose vision that no one ever thought of before. These hackers were always considered as crazy and foolish, and we probably even had the same reaction to hackers even 200 years ago. But, you know, we're always going to have this individual geniuses, hackers, entrepreneurs that will always innovate and come up with new solutions despite of the resistance of the system. But is that going to be enough? The pace of change and the scope of global challenges that we are facing today means that we can no longer rely on these few individuals. We need much more than that. And we need to prepare the next generation to cope with this unpredictability. Because I don't need to tell you that the world is changing, right? We know that we're currently experiencing the worst youth unemployment crisis in history. According to the World Economic Forum, 40% of the world's unemployed are youth. And we know that the world of work is changing. Our parents used to have one job their entire lifetime. We will probably have five jobs in our lifetime. And the next generation will probably have five jobs at the same time. And we know that the old notion of university plus good grades equals a career is no longer valid, as we see an entire generation suffering from unemployment like never before. So we know that things are changing, so now what? How do we operate in this new economy? How do we help the next generation thrive and not just survive in this new complex and unpredictable world? And how do we prepare youth to move from school to employment and into jobs that haven't even been created yet? So what we need is a new world, a new model. Because a new world requires new ways, because the old ways simply don't work anymore. What we need is a new model with hacking at its core. We need to actively support the next generation to embrace and develop their hacker mindset. And the hacker mindset is the foundation for the new creative economy. It's the future of work. It's a must-have for tomorrow's leaders. And it's the language of solutions for the world's most pressing challenges. So how do we cultivate a hacker mindset? Well, we need to do a few things. We need to foster students' curiosity with real-world problems, moving beyond academic theory so that they can develop critical thinking for themselves. We need to encourage them to tinker and to investigate why things are the way they are, and not just give them predefined problems with fixed solutions, and instead challenge them to come up with new problems, new, new challenges that maybe don't have a solution, and they'll need to hack it. And we need to create a space where they will feel safe to express their ideas and develop their confidence and ultimately encourage grit. And I've seen this over and over again in our workshops. When you give students the power to lead and to tinker, they trust themselves, they believe in themselves. And then they try new things without being afraid, and they grow. So why am I here? Because this personal hacker journey of this stubborn 10-year-old girl had led me to pursue my mission to help shape the next generation of global leaders and innovators. And I'm going back to where I began, and I'm reaching out to the world, and this time I'm reaching out to you, because I can't do this alone. We all play a role in creating the world of tomorrow. So how can you help the next generation succeed, whether you're there as a teacher, as an employer, as a mentor, or as a parent? 
Give them new ways to embrace their curiosity. Encourage them to tinker and experiment in whichever way you can. And when things don't go according to plan, champion grit and tenacity to not quit at the first obstacle and instead see these obstacles as gifts. This is how we grow leaders of tomorrow. Thank you. Impressive. Almost impressive. And we're back on Ham On, so thank you, Dar, for I think the audience is not deaf. There is that thing from TEDx, and and uh, and she makes some good points. You know, she started as a ten-year-old girl in CW and got her amateur radio license, and and we need to pass things on to the next generation. So maybe you'll take that at heart. Um, I found this to be interesting. Yeah. You found a lot to be interesting. There's, there's, uh, on August 27th, a new scienti scientist magazine reports issues that researchers in Paris have discovered the growth of plant seedlings were faster after they subjected the seedlings to frequencies in the 40-meter band. The researchers oh. from Sorbonne University found that RF pulses at 7 megahertz altered <laughs> a type of biological protein receptor that controls plant growth Rates in crest seedlings making them grow faster than normal. The researchers say similar biological receptors occur across insects, birds, and other animals too, including humans. These receptors have roles not only in growth rates, but also in regulating biological clocks or in birds navigating by the Earth's magnetic field. This is the first time that radio signals have been found to affect biological receptors and it has implications around whether life itself could be impacted by RFI. This, uh, this goes out to thanks to David VK3DRH for the above information. So I there you go. I think that's why my spider plan turns my room into a jungle. Am amateur radio is, it, it works on, on, on dealing with plants too. So like that's kind of I mean, cool. We have a couple more things you want to get done. Um, there's a ham... I'm going to, we're going to run Ham Basics 101 for you non-hams that want to get in quick on, on how all this stuff that we talk about every week and give all this news and all these little uh, things that we do here on the show for, for an hour every week. Um, that's coming up next. And then the Peace de Resistance, Bob Heil, Joe Walsh. Um, we're going to talk about AM radio. So we're going to, let's see, let's, uh, let's go to... The ham radio basics. Click on the right thing. You go to the ham radio. Fart for a moment. Ham radio basics. So I hope you're enjoying this. You're listening to Ham on. Yes, you're listening to Live on WTBR FM, and don't forget Mondays at 4 p.m. Live, the Beatles forever. Yes. So you get to hear us again. You get to hear us twice a week. You get to huh? hear our that? wonderful voices again. Two, 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 two separate entities all, all in itself. So um, stick around. You're listening to Ham On and WTBR-FM. Here's uh, Ham Radio Basics. Why do we need ham or amateur radio? It's a question that I know many of you ponder, and the answer is quite simple. Ham radio allows for local and planet-wide communications when all other forms of communications fail. Today's world is connected by complex forms of communications, namely cellular communications and the Internet.
These forms of communication are very easy to use, but rely on massive infrastructure between two individuals communicating. If one cog in that wheel breaks, the whole thing can come crashing down. Conversely, amateur radio relies only on the two parties involved, the electronic epitome of individual responsibility. Just a few things are needed on either end, power, a radio, an antenna, and depending on the mode of communications, maybe a few accessories. In this series, we will show you how ham radio, and frankly, the entire radio spectrum, can be an indispensable tool in emergencies large and small. The radio spectrum is huge. You can think of it as millions of channels to which you can tune into. To learn all about what is available to you is a lifelong endeavor, but learning just a few basics is rather simple. So that's where I'll start. There are two basic types of communication in the ham universe, communicating short-range and worldwide communications. In ham-speak, I'm referring to VHF and HF communications, or very high frequency and high frequency. Being new to amateur radio, you may have no idea what this means, so let's talk about it with some examples, starting with short-range communications. Let's say that you need to keep in contact with friends, family members, or even local emergency responders. You are going to need to use a certain portion of the radio spectrum that is conducive to local communications, a portion of that spectrum that offers clarity and reliability and possibly extreme portability. A proven solution to local communications has always been the very high frequency portion of the spectrum, or VHF. VHF is chosen by police, fire, air traffic, dispatching, FM radio, TV, and businesses. And there's a nice section of the band that's carved out for you and I as well. The term VHF refers to the frequency, in the case of VHF, that is 30 to 300 megahertz. As amateur radio operators, our little slice of the pie is right in the middle from 144 to 148 megahertz. But being new to ham radio, that probably means nothing to you. So let's show you how it works in the real world. This is a prepper's favorite, the Bofang UV5R. This little $30 radio on a $15 test is all it takes for you to get started in ham radio, but more on that later. For now, there's a link below to our article on how to get your ham license in seven days. What can you do with this radio? Well, in its most basic method of communication, say one Bofang to another, or simplex communication as it's termed, you basically have two low-powered radios with small antenna. How well this radio works is dependent on the laws of physics and is directly tied to the characteristics of VHF frequencies. While VHF is mostly unaffected by atmospheric noise, giving you clear and reliable communications, it is restricted to line-of-sight communications. Simply put, line-of-sight communications means things like mountains, hills, large buildings, and most importantly, the Earth itself can disrupt the signal. Let's take an example of two people standing on relatively level ground. Because of the curvature of the Earth, there's a limited distance that these two can have line of sight before the Earth itself gets in the way. In the case of these two radios, the antennas are, say, six feet above the ground. The distance to where the Earth starts blocking the signal due to the curvature is three miles. This is called the radio horizon. For the other individual, the distance is also three miles. Added together, two people with bow fangs can theoretically talk to each other from six miles apart. In reality, if you have trees, buildings, small hills, or other terrain, you are probably going to be limited to just a mile or two. While a mile or two is more than enough to talk to your own property and to your own neighborhood, what do we do to extend this coverage, yet still use these convenient handheld radios? Dotting a landscape around the world are repeaters. What do they do? Exactly what their name implies. They take the signal that you transmit, receive it, then repeat it. 
Generally speaking, these repeaters are publicly available to licensed ham operators and are run mostly by preparedness-minded individuals. Lots of these repeaters operate on backup power for use in emergencies, and some are perpetually powered by the likes of solar and other renewable forms of backup. These repeaters are most often located in ideal locations, that is, high up in the air. The higher the antenna, the further the radio horizon. Combined with the fact that the antennas themselves are really efficient, they can help the range of your handheld radio go from a few miles to 50 miles or more. There's a third option for the preparedness-minded individual, and that is to set up your own repeater. Mobile radios such as my Kenwood TMV71A have a feature called cross-band repeat. In normal operation, these types of radios operate just the same as your handheld, but you can permanently install a bigger antenna much higher up in the air. The radios also have more power, and you can choose to back up that power with a system that you control. Check out the links below on our solar series for more on that one. The function of cross-band repeat allows them to receive on one band and simultaneously transmit on another, effectively creating your own repeater. In a future video, we will show you exactly how to do this, but for now, there are some links below to radios that can do this. Now, keep in mind, the performance of this system is dependent on your antenna, its height, the terrain around your location, and so on, but it should greatly enhance the range of a communication system that you own and control. Lastly, we'll talk about HF communications, or high frequency. This is the type of communication an outsider to amateur radio might picture. HF communications allows you to talk to the world. HF consists of different frequencies compared to VHF, between 3 and 30 megahertz, and these frequencies have different characteristics. For example, some of your signal when you key up on the Bofang actually radiates directly out into outer space. HF is different. The radio waves actually bounce off the ionosphere, called skip propagation, allowing for communications that are not limited to line of sight. This skip can allow interstate to intercontinental communications. There's many reasons for this, and it's way outside the scope of this video, but communicating with the states around you can be relatively reliable, and depending on the conditions of the bands, you can talk to the world. With my modest setup, it's more of like firing a signal out there, bouncing off the ionosphere, and wherever it lands, it lands. I'm right here in the Great Lakes, and I've talked to both coasts, Europe, South America, and listened to the world. The most important fact you have to remember about all of this is there's nothing that exists between your radio and theirs. No infrastructure to rely on. You control it, and nobody can shut you up. HF radio will be the de facto mode of communications in a regional, national, or worldwide disaster. The downside to HF is the equipment can be quite expensive. While I would expect each and every one of you to get licensed, have a radio like the Bofang, and know how to use it, HF radio takes a little more knowledge, a general license, and a bit more equipment. If considering new, the cost of entry to the HF world is going to be around $1,000. This is my ICOM IC7200, in multicam of course. It's not the absolute least expensive HF radio, but for what it does, it's one of the best deals. With an HF rig, in addition to the radio, you'll need a power supply, antenna, and antenna tuner. Also, the antenna might not be what you picture in your mind as an antenna. The most popular type of HF antenna is the dipole, basically two pieces of wire that are spread horizontally as opposed to vertically. This requires you to have some real estate and a place to hang the antenna. Just like in our solar series, I tend to pick a vendor to work on with complicated systems. Okay, and we will stop there. So. That was our little uh, thing about uh, 
the basics of ham radio. So real quick, you have something to put out there before we uh, go to our final break. Uh, U.S. mail is the only way to vote for AARL division um, elections. So basically, they want you to go ahead to go ahead and to not use the electronic ballot for um they're having problems with the midwest division for electronic votes uh for the electronic there was a lot of <coughs> people saying electronic voting was how you did it and they're like no no mail-in ballots are the only way to do it so um if you do not receive, if you do not receive your ballot by October 16th, you have to contact Clara Perrin, KC1HSX at CPERAARL.com. Or dot org, so and they will have to be in by the twentieth of November. So mail votes are the only way to do. You, you, you said you, you said you wanted to bring something up because you're an avid gamer. You've been playing yes. Tomb Raider when we're not yes. doing this. So really quick, if um, you want to put that out before we go to the break. Yes, the funniest thing is I when you play Tomb Raider, you stumble upon these journals and stuff. And one of the journals that Laura stumbled upon in the, uh, the Tomb Raider game for, uh, for Xbox, PS4, it's the Square Enix version of Tomb Raider. Uh, it's, a, it's actually CW. It's, um, it says, Command to Operative, Stop. Trinity is Concerned, Stop. Acquisition of, of Star Phenomenon, Unacceptable, Stop. Sabotage of access, access operation and operative. Stop. It's actually C. Yeah. It's actually C. Well, it, it's Telegram, funny. and they used to send telegrams, telegrams by CW, CW back in the day. So, um, we. I was will, like, it, I was like, hold on, wait a minute, that's CW, and I actually did a picture of it. All right, we were going to the, going funny. to the break, and then we will be back with Bob Heil. Yes. And Joe Walsh. So you're, you're listening, listening to Hamon and WTBR. UTBR. You and I have witnessed many things, but nothing as bodacious as what just happened. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager. Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. In the wake of a disaster, there are many people from all backgrounds and all walks of life who need help. Help is available through FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. If your home or property has been damaged or destroyed, you've lost your job or income, or face other emergency needs, please call us at 800-621-FEMA. Help is here. A public service message brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
What is ham radio? It's the most fun you can have with a radio. Talk to people around the world or even orbiting the world. And you don't need a two-year contract or internet access to do it. Learn about electronics and be of service to your community. ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, has over 2,000 clubs across the country, including this one in your area. Have you ever dreamed of being a radio DJ, spinning your favorite vinyl, CDs, and MP3s? Have you ever wanted to share conversations with interesting guests with the community? Then the WTBR-FM Programming Committee wants to hear from you. We are now accepting proposals for new programs. For more information, visit WTBRFM.com or call 445-4234. Pittsfield Community Radio, for the love of radio. This is the Goodwill Industries of the Berkshires and Southern Vermont. Our mission is to help our community members with barriers to employment, attain independence and self-sufficiency, gain confidence and enhance quality of life, all through vocational, educational work, training, and support services. You can contact Goodwill at 413-442-0061 or go to our website at www.goodwill-berkshires.com. WTBR-FM is listener-supported radio. That means we depend on your donations to keep the station on the air. All the local content and the music you love requires your support. You can make your donation today at WTBRFM.com by calling 445-4234 or stopping by our studio at 4 Federico Drive in Pittsfield. You'd be glad you did. Pittsfield Community Radio, for the love of radio. You have chosen wisely. WTBR. All right, we're back on WTBR. So real quick, we're back on Ham On. Before we go to uh, Joe Walsh, uh, you were going to say something else. Uh, yeah, also another game where you find um, Ham Radio. And the funniest thing is in Tomb Raider, you actually find... A little base with some of the ham radios there another one is um fallout when you go to the brotherhood of the steel base they actually have a few ham radios that you can turn on and tinker with and i thought it's cool i was um me and dad were playing fallout and i went ahead and i yelled to dad hey look what i found and he says he goes what is that and he goes, oh, it's a ham radio. It's a little 50s era ham radio, and it was pretty cool. All right. Um, now, like I promised you, we have Bob Heil, K9EID, and we all know this guy, Joe Walsh, <laughs> WB6ACU, and they're going to have a little conversation about AM ham radio. Cool. Uh, and then we'll be back to close the show. So enjoy, and we will be back. Awesome. Joe, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, so you and I can help a lot of people about this thing called AM. Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of sad because some of the new guys, they weren't around when you and I started way back in their uh, century there with AM. And, and uh, 3870 to 3890 was a gentleman's agreement since we couldn't get the FCC or the ARRL to listen. Uh, and we just all got together. Or I, this happens way back in the 50s uh, when I first started. And um, 
How is it holding up on the West Coast, Joe? Is everybody respecting that uh, that AM window from 3870 to 3890? Yeah, Bob, I, I would say uh, AM is alive and well on the West Coast. <clears throat> there was uh, initially some sideband guys who, you know, claimed it was their frequency they were there first. But gradually, the AM community built up to, uh, oh, really, usually more than, than 40 hams check in on the, on the various nets, sometimes up to 60 guys on yeah. AM. And uh, so, you know, good things take time. And, and gradually, it's just kind of where the AMers go. So now the sideband guys uh, just talk about how, how crazy we are. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, on, not on our frequency. <laughs> they have a well, great, one of the good, they have one a of the good things that... Uh, when you and I visited the uh, W1AW some years ago, thought it'd be a good idea. And now there's an AM station uh, at W1AW when we uh, put an NC300 and a Viking 1 or 2 up there, right? Yeah, Viking 1, I think. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or was it a yeah. Valiant? Might have been a Valiant. Been a Valiant. I, I forgot. Viking but valiant. the last time sitting on uh, the actual desk of Hiram Percy uh, uh, Maxim. They have his grandson gave uh, the W1AW his desk, and that's where the gear is sitting. So when you go to W1AW, you can go in there and work AM. I, I just thought that was great, Joe. It was a great idea. Yeah. And AM is just a wonderful thing. It's not rapid fire. You kind of, uh, it's a rag-chewing type of mode. And you talk technical stuff. You talk basically uh, analog electronics. And AM's a, a, a wonderful old, old mode that uh, predated sideband. AM came first for years and years and years. And uh, all this stuff is obsolete now. But it works great. It just has tubes in it. And it's it, uh, too heavy to lift. But that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun with it. And uh, anybody, you know, uh, uh, anybody with any interest in in the old uh, the old tube radios, uh, check out AM or uh, contact an AMer because they're great, great Elmers. That's right, and that's what we need more of are some Elmers. And uh, we, you know, Joe, that since you and I did that first program, we have we have emails to prove this. Over the 200 shows, there's been over a thousand people get their license because of Ham Nation, and we're so excited that these people have their license. But we hear at Diamond Time again, they get a little afraid because they don't have the Elmers like you and I had, and. Um, I uh, I have some pictures here. I want to run down. I think Brian's got them. Uh, I, I got a, a really cool set. Check this out, Joe. I'm sure you've seen this in Kent, Ohio. Yeah. Is a mural. 
And isn't that cool? Is there any history you want to tell about that? Well, in the uh, in the seventies uh, in Kent, Ohio, there was a little uh, music community and some clubs all on a street called Water Street, and uh, a whole bunch of people came out of there. Uh, Chrissy Hines from the Pretenders uh, <clears throat> was from there, a whole bunch of us. And Water Street is kind of famous for some great bands <clears throat> that came out of it. It's a college town. And so to commemor commemorate Water Street and uh, how important it was <clears throat> for uh, musicians having a, a good place to play, uh, they put a mural up of me and uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. One other thing I want to show you, Bob, have a look at this. I'll see if you can see it. That's me in 1961. Uh, I was 12 years old. My novice call was WV2KAC and that's a Heathkit DX20 that I built. And a BC-348 surplus receiver. Yes. <clears throat> that's yes. me when I was 12 years old, and that's my station. WV-2, Willie Victor 2 KAC. I was a novice, and I just found that. So I'm really proud of it. Well, I have a picture here coming up uh, with Jim. Uh, Jim and I... Uh, and you, I want you to tell the story about Jim, about how you got into ham radio and how Jim helped you. And he has the log. He brought his log of your first contact. He worked, you worked him, of course. And, oh, and I, I then brought that log to you. So uh, tell us a little story about how you got into ham radio and what uh, significance Jim had on your life. Okay, well, in about 1959, uh, my family relocated from Ohio to New York City. And I had been a country boy, grew up in Ohio. We had all kinds of fields to play in and a lot of room and, uh, and vacant lots and uh, like that. But I wound up in New York City in a third floor apartment uh, with my parents and I didn't know anybody cause it was summer and I didn't have any friends till school started. But that summer I was all by myself and it was really, uh, really, really a shock to go from Ohio and, and being part of a whole community of kids just to be in a total loner. <clears throat> And so I noticed that there was this thing uh, up on the roof of the apartment building that went around uh, on Saturday mornings. And it was a... Uh, it was a okay, because, because of time, we'll have to cut that short. We'll play that in its entirety next week, but uh, um, he'll, we'll pick it up there. And, and we've got about two minutes, so I just wanted to say that... Uh, Tonight at 7 p.m., Meal or No Meal premieres.
You were first contestant um, on two the two local contestants, email. which I am one of them. Play for a chance to win up to one hundred dollar gift certificate to Patrick's Pub in Pittsfield. Tune in on PCTV Access Pittsfield Channel thirteen oh one PCTV Select and on the Facebook page. And if you want to be a contestant next week, go to pittsfieldtv.org backslash meal or no meal to register for your chance to be a contestant. Really cool, cool show is hosted by Bob Heck. Uh, the uh, the um, uh, host there, um, Howie Mandel uh, of Pittsfield. That's what I was looking for. So on behalf of Peter and Jessica, this is Ben Hamon. Yes, it has. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. 73. 73, everybody.